as a younger person, it seems to me that the goal should still be to take more risks. And I don't just mean like to buy more Bitcoin or to, to own more stocks in your portfolio. Of course, that I think is some of it, but also um, to just do more things that are frankly weird. You know, when Elon Musk was starting out or when Mark Zuckerberg was starting out, um, a lot of people probably told them that you're a weirdo. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Bitcoin is Hard. This is a Choice App production about Bitcoin and personal finance. This is our fifth episode in a playlist of interviewing Orange Pilled Financial Advisors. Super excited to have Andy Flattery with us today. He's the owner of Simple Wealth Kansas City. We're on a mission to just talk about the intersection of Bitcoin and personal finance. We met friends of Andy at the Kansas City Bitcoin meetup while we were out there. And so long time coming, super happy to get him scheduled today. So Andy, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Brian. I'm excited to be here. And I, I love what you're doing, man. You, you're in your own lane here with Bitcoin and personal finance. I don't know of anyone that's doing exactly that thing. So I'm yeah. sort of, I'm pleased to be a part of this. Yeah. Well, no. And I love the title of your podcast when you were on the Kansas City one about the intersection of Bitcoin and personal finance. I love that you talk about reformed financial advising. And yeah. I was going to call out, like, you pulled the short straw, though, on, like, the recession episode. Like, we have to talk about recession. We have to talk about the Bitcoin bear market. But before that, I want to start off with this. Every every episode, we have um, a segment called Explain This Tweet. Normally, I save until the end, but I love your pinned tweet right now. And so we're just going to move ahead with it right here at the beginning. Andy says, creative planning for anyone under 60 should be about building a career slash business that is uniquely suited to their skills taking a few idiosyncratic risks, concentrating before diversifying and hoarding Bitcoins. <laughs> tell us what this means. So if there's any Kansas City watchers of this video, they're going to know that I'm sort of picking at a registered investment advisor in our backyard named, uh, the name of the firm is Creative Planning. And, and some of your listeners might be familiar with Peter Malouk, who is sort of like a Finfluencer. And he's the founder of this firm here in Kansas City. And, and for all, everything I've heard, he's like a great guy, but he's not a fan of Bitcoin. He's like famously one of these guys that likes to crap on Bitcoin anytime when Bitcoin is either uh, high or when it's either low. Like P Peter's going to be in the news talking about it. But his firm is called Creative Planning. And, you know, it's sort of like the, the way that the firm is sort of aligned, it's sort of aligned to help retirees retire and feel comfortable in their retirement, okay? And so when I started my firm, Simple Wealth Planning, in 2018, the idea was I sort of thought that young, sort of affluent millennials in their 30s and 40s needed a different sort of creative planning than just um, you've acquired your stack at age 65, and now it's time to quit what you're doing, buy a 60-40 portfolio, and just sort of uh, go live on a golf course for 30 years. Um, that's sort of not like what I'm doing. Like that's like the opposite of my financial plan right now. And so um, I'm sort of been on this project to figure out like what does actual creative planning look like for people that are like my age. And I think it's harder. I think it's, there's, there's, it's more dynamic, you know, like there's uh, when you're 65, maybe there are fewer variables. Like it's, Hey, when do you take social security? What, uh, what kind of Medicare supplement plan do you need to get? But it's sort of like everything is sort of laid out for you. Whereas, you know, even at age 37, like I'm 37, the, the world is still my oyster. <laughs> and so there's a lot of possibilities. So I think that um, 
the, the, the point of that tweet was really to say as a younger person, it seems to me that the goal should still be to take more risks. And I don't just mean like to buy more Bitcoin or to, to own more stocks in your portfolio. Of course, that I think is some of it, but also um, to just do more things that are frankly weird. Um, you, uh, nobody would have, uh, you know, when Elon Musk was starting out or when Mark Zuckerberg was starting out, um, a lot of people probably told them that you're a weirdo. And, you know, if they were to sit with creative planning here in Kansas City, creative planning probably would have told Mark Zuckerberg to sell the business a lot earlier, right? Like you should sell some of your shares and, and diversify, right? But I think that's probably the wrong path for a lot of young people. Um, so I'm not saying everyone necessarily needs to be an entrepreneur. Um, I know there's, there's lots of challenges with being an entrepreneur. In fact, it, you know, I, there's a lot of opportunity to be a, a W2 employee too, but um, I think just in general, be open to risk. Um, you know, we live in sort of the world where we all live in sort of a bubble boy land here, here in the U S where, um, you know, there's not as much risk as maybe what our, our ancestors would have experienced. Um, so I think we should try to embrace risk where possible. And that's sort of the point of that tweet. I love that. No, and that makes me just like excited. And when I scroll your website and honestly, the four other advisors that we've interviewed in the series also, like it makes me excited. And so I don't know if I'm just, I'm like a finance nerd that like looks at my stuff, but also like, I, I have friends that talk about like, oh, the good old days of college. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? My life is 10 times, 100 times more exciting. Today, I'm 30. Mm. I'm 30 today. Yeah. Like, my wife's 32. We have a one, we have a one-year-old um, son. My like, oh, mother-in-law awesome. lives with us. Like, we, I, my life is 10 times, 100 times more exciting than it was six years ago. And so now when I'm thinking about me being 37, me being 45, me being 55, like I'm, I'm just like jacked up to run a sprint for each of those little things. Like to have, I want my life to have more optionality and more optionality and more optionality at every single one of those gates. And it's not just about finances. It's also about just like, having influence on the world like and that's the reason why you know like bitcoin twitter like is so exciting to me and that's the reason why like bitcoin is shorthand for all of that right now but even removing bitcoin from it i i think it's possible to make good decisions in either start a business or being a w2 employee and allowing your career to compound make good decisions that make your life exponentially better. Like as you live on, like we have agency over our lives. Yeah. That's what I hear you saying. Like, that's what I hear you saying. And that's what I hear others like just saying in this intersection of like Bitcoin and personal finance. So that's, and then when I think about financial planning, like old world financial planning, and when I think about kind of the stereotypical boomers out there, I'm sad that they didn't like they made decisions that didn't compound mm. like they sold their first home instead of like turning it into an investment property or they like you're right like didn't start a business or they like switched from one career to a different career and stopped out their salary growth like mm. uh, i don't 
I, I don't know. Or they didn't like move in with family so that they could have cheaper childcare so that they could, you know, work four more years longer in their thirties instead of like working longer into their sixties. I don't like that's is, is it just, and, and I, I feel that from people in their thirties and forties that they want to, I actually think that people in their thirties and forties largely like want to make really good decisions. Like in, in our, our, pretty motivated to do it right. Um, yeah. I yeah. I, I, I love, I mean, that's yeah. hundred percent. That's, that's creative planning to me. Um, you know, what you see a lot in sort of uh, the traditional financial planning space that's specifically geared for this idea of like helping retirees feel comfy in retirement is sort of like uh, they call it the Monte the Monte Carlo simulator, where you, you plug some numbers into the financial calculator, and um, and you try to make sure that you, your Monte Carlo simulation will say that you can have a comfortable thirty year retirement. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, like that's just too pie in the sky. I don't necessarily want to speculate on what the Monte Carlo says my life will look like in thirty years. Like I want to level up like right now. Like, yes. and that's sort of yes. the, the ethos of my firm where I don't necessarily care about, um, making sure that the calculator says, um, I'm going to be able to retire in 30 years. Like I want to be financially healthy today. So, um, yes. yeah, it's like, it's the, it's building good habits. It's, it's educating yourself, uh, um, on how the financial system works. It's almost like the idea of developing a certain virtue, you know, like if you, if you do good activity time and time again, that's sort of like how virtue is built. And so this is sort of like a small version of that where it's like leveling up today and like building the, the right financial foundation right now. Um, so I, I hear that's, you hundred percent on that. So I guess that's where I would pivot it to talking about the recession and talking about Bitcoin bear market is in that like, I don't want, like, this is not going to stop me. This is not going to stop me. Like, I'm, I want to level up, as you're saying, like, right now, and I want to continue making good decisions through this bear market. Yeah. Like, how, I like, I watched my dad, like, get laid off in 2001. I watched my dad get laid off in 2008. I watched that, like, stunt, like, compounding yeah. years. And so now, like, and, and I'm sure that happened to lots of other people. And so this whole thing of, like, millennials keep having these like once in a life like we've had 15 or 10 once in a lifetime like financial things like happen in our lives or whatever how but and i just hate how all macroeconomic news is like well don't fight the fed don't fight the fed watch the fed like da, 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 do all this stuff like no like i have agency over my own life and i have skills that i have and i'm always developing myself so like how talk to us about how do we like how do you level up right now and how do you in a bear market or in a recession make sure that your compounding growth is not stomped out you brian you're you're pushing all my buttons right now because i was just thinking about how preston pish has been right on the money when he's been talking about um the fed is sort of you know uh moving the puppet strings right now and what he's doing is he's hoarding cash so that when the liquidity comes back, he's going to go in big. And he's been totally right about that. But it's like the antithesis of everything that I want and care about. Like, I don't want to be a degenerate Fed watcher. Like for me, um, this idea of just, you know, again, leveling up right now and like putting your financial house in order, 
uh, what that means practically is I, I just buy Bitcoin all the time, <laughs> you know, because I'm not going to try to time that thing, even though he's been totally right. And I understand what he's saying. Um, and, and to the point about your dad, like, I think that touches on something really important here because I got laid off in 2009. So for me, like when I talk about bear markets, I'm like an, I'm like, what do they call it? A geriatric millennial. I'm 37. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You were the same age. The 2008 financial crisis was a meaningful bear market for me too. And it wasn't because I had a huge portfolio that, that got crushed. It was because at that time, uh, just coming right out of college, uh, I got laid off of my first job and it was a really challenging time. Like I remember I had friends that were like working at Starbucks that, that had four-year college degrees just so they could have health insurance. I went to work for a New York City like boiler room uh, making $2,000 a month cold calling. And I was like happy to have a job. <laughs> and so uh, the perverse thing about these bear, you know, everyone knows that it's important to be greedy when others are fearful. But what's challenging about that is right when we know we're supposed to be greedy, a lot of times that where it might become the hardest time to do that. Because, you know, as a young person, the most important thing that I can do to, to build wealth for me and my family is to increase my income even right now. And that's probably true for anyone that's under like 60, probably uh, yeah. just increase your income, but it, it can be hard to do that in a recession because that's when the layoffs happen. So like if any of the listeners are like working at Coinbase, they might be feeling that, that right now. And um, we could see more of that. If this becomes a real recession, this could become, you know, like an Andy event in 2009 where I lost my job and I knew that I wasn't in Bitcoin at that time, but I knew stocks were cheap and I, and I couldn't get in the way that I wanted to. And so I think step one is to level up your, your income and to try to find a way to make your income bulletproof and to make yourself really valuable to your company or to, um, you know, uh, keep making sure that your business is solid. Um, I think that's the first thing that we need to think about. I had that. So I had that written down on my paper, like mm -hmm. the, the, the just make more money. Like, and that's where yeah. I, I saw this post the other day from, um, or I've been talking to my wife about this too, about, and it was a post from Cody Sanchez that talked about as her, like, as her preferences have increased, her like desire to make more money has increased. And I was saying that to my wife in my own words too. And I was like, I'm, I feel like I'm right on this line right now of feeling like, I'm like falling into the trap of lifestyle inflation mm -hmm. or I'm like, I guess just leveling up to like use, use the terms we've been using of the podcast. And it's like being like, how do you motivate yourself? We, we have a <laughs> kind of mixing a lot of things. We have an episode that I still haven't released with um, Sarah Satoshi, who is the younger generation, which I love. And I'm excited to release that one. And she talked, we kind of talked about like a doomer mentality and just like, there's like, because of all of the economy is at the whim of the fed or whatever, like what even yeah. is the point of like trying to work hard and save money or whatever. So I might as well just blow the money. Like we talked about that mm. for someone, I feel like there's also another equivalent. And I have fallen into this back when I was freelancing where I was comfortable just at the size that my business was. Like I couldn't find it in myself and I'm a pretty like competitive, like personal finance, like guy, like, and I couldn't find it in myself to like try to sign another client because I was like, there's just not, I, I couldn't find there. There's not that much difference between clearing like 10 K a month as a solopreneur and like 
12K a month as a solopreneur, you know? And so I was like trying to find that motivation to like get that next thing. But I didn't know, like when you, when, when so much of the stuff relies on these like macroeconomic plates that I have no control over, how do you motivate yourself to level up as a W2 or level up as a solopreneur? Like there's, there's, there's like, that was my version of the kind of like doomerism complacency, even though I'm like pretty competitive type A. I, I mean, we're the, Brian, you and I are very similar. So I had a similar experience in the last year where I, I own a small registered investment advisor. Uh, I'm a solo, I'm a solo employee and I had an opportunity to acquire a wealth management firm that would have, uh, immediately been exponential growth for my business. Um, so essentially it was a, a family friend that was looking for someone to buy, buy him out. And I, I, I I looked at it very closely, but the problem was with his arrangement, um, I wouldn't be able to talk about Bitcoin because of compliance issues. And so I said, thanks, but no thanks. Um, it's just not the right time. Like, this is what I want to do right now. But it was an opportunity for me to like immediately uh, exponentially grow my income. Uh, but in the financial, financial planning, wealth management space, there are certain firms right now that literally they just can't touch this stuff. They, they can't even yeah. say the word Bitcoin, which is pretty yeah. hilarious, but that's sort of where we're at. I mean, it's sort of one of the reasons why Bitcoin is undervalued because right. literally it's just a compliance hurdle for a lot of places. I think a, a couple of ideas are maybe just to know what, um, what your value is in the marketplace. Um, have, have an idea for what your peers are doing. So you, you mentioned your competitive I mean, in a lot of, a lot of cases, that's enough. Like I know what some of my peers, like the Morgan Rochards of the world are doing, who, who's been a prior guest on this podcast. And frankly, that motivates me. Like, um, like I, I want to be a Morgan, you know? And yep. so I think that's probably just understanding like what your value is in the marketplace is, is pretty useful. Um, one of the things that- I'm going to compare that to what Preston's saying. Comparing that yeah. to what Preston's saying about hoarding cash, it's almost like, Dude, like cash at my level of my career, that cash does not do anything for me. Like I don't need to hoard cash. Like I need to hoard skills, like almost of what you're like. I need to hoard skills Mm. and pick the right time to like punch on the skills. Yeah. Um, You know what I mean? Or like that would, yeah, like cash, cash flow. Like I don't need to hoard cash to buy assets that will like uh, grow, I need to hoard something like whatever value I have, whether it's capital or just myself, like my, um, my energy, and then capitalize on something that would increase income, which comes to like a thing that we've been covering on this podcast of just the difference between investing in something that like, um, something that appreciates or Mm -hmm. something that cash flows. And it's like, I'm just like way more interested in like cash flow right now. And even if that means W2 salary, yeah. owning an investment that pays you, Bitcoin mining, like I'm, I'm open to the spectrum of those things. Um, that's more interesting to me than appreciation right now, because that feels more recession proof and more like leveling up to me. Yeah, I think I think a lot of young people, too. And this this has sort of been, you know, I, I was like this, too, for in a lot of ways they sort of just settle and they're not like curious enough to think about what else is possible. And so 
sometimes like I'll meet with like a young, you know, a, a child of a client or something like that. And uh, I'll try to nudge them in certain directions. If, if I see someone that has a skill set that they're just not even aware of. So for example, uh, here in Kansas city, we're, we're, we're a bit of a hub for like software sales. And like, I have young clients in their twenties and thirties with a four year degrees that are earning like high six figure incomes, just slinging software. And the skill set is like, they're personable and they um, are good at, you know, holding themselves accountable to achieving goals. And so like, if I see like ex athletes or something like that, that are, you know, earning $48,000 a year in Kansas city, which is fine. Like I'm not saying anything against that, but they have the opportunity to, you know, earn a multiple of that income by doing software sales. I'll connect them with someone that I know, that I know could point them in the right direction. The other example that I've seen of that here, at least in my orbit is uh, in coding right now, there's been, uh, a tremendous demand for some of these coding jobs at, at some of the larger companies here in Kansas city. And same thing, like four year degree, or even like some of these guys that I've, I've, I've chatted with are like self-taught and they'll go and the, you know, after a few years, they're earning like 200 K plus at, in some of these coding jobs with in Kansas city is a pretty nice life. And so, um, sometimes like there's just young people, they're just earning an average wage and they're just not even aware that they have these skills or they could learn these things that could, you know, immediately increase their income. What have you seen with salary? Like I, I've heard mixed things on like when salaries get marked up, that's when like inflation becomes sticky because it's very like, and salaries rarely get marked back down. Yeah. Do you, what, what have you seen about salaries right now? Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I would be curious to, um, I, I don't know if that's true. That's just a passing thing I collected. Yeah, I would be curious to know um, how it's stacked up with with um, inflation, but but yeah, I mean, everywhere that I turn, I think um, I think everyone's salaries have been going up, and I think there's a sense that that's a really good thing. <laughs> like uh, I just had a client this morning that was just telling me that she had like a ten percent salary in increase, and she was pretty pleased with it. So. Yeah. Um, I think this is probably a classic example of like the, inf the effects of inflation are sort of um, hidden here because it's unclear if like this is keeping up with inflation or if this is just a result of that. Um, you know, funny story, my wife, my wife works at a hospital. She's a part-time nurse and, and what they, and, and it's extremely like, there's a huge shortage of healthcare workers right now. And so what they did is they started paying the brand new nurses like a, a premium wage and on all of the experienced nurses were really upset about that because now they were like making the same wages as the new nurses. So there's just been this. So anyway, everyone got a pay, a pay increase yep. and there's just been sort of this onslaught of pay increases over the last couple of years in the healthcare field. And I have no idea if it's like, is it keeping up with inflation? Probably not. Um, I have a sense that, you know, people are probably aware that their wage is maybe not so much keeping up with inflation, but I don't think, I don't think there's, it's hard to zero in on really, you know, how, how close it is to the real number. Do you, but if like we hear about layoffs, but do we hear about like, is there a history during recessions of like salaries being cut? Like, is that ever uh, like, should people be like mm. concerned about that at all? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. 
you know, I, I almost wonder if it's going to be more like it's, it's the salaries are going to stay the same, but we're just going to see more layoffs. Um, I, I don't know if like maybe we're, we're getting to the point. Um, Andy Edstrom has this graphic where he talks about inflation and how one of the inflationary pressures right now is the boomers are retiring and the millennials who were like used to be the cheap labor are now demanding a higher wage. Yeah. I almost wonder if it's just going to be like the wages are going to stay the same because we're sort of anchored to this number, but the jobs will just be less available. Like it's less, you know, maybe like the fact that we have 3% unemployment right now is, is not going to be the case if there's going to be more the coin bases of the world laying off employees. Right. Because I wonder like what percent of the, like, I, <laughs> I don't know if this is like flying too close to the sun, but like, what percent of like the nice six figure salaries are coming from like leverage VC? How much is top? it? How much of it is you know real? What I'm saying? Yeah, like, what, yeah. like, I don't know, you know, like people, people talk about different markets crashing and like leverage having like effects down the chain or whatever. So, yeah. cause it's hard to start a company. It's very, very hard to start a company. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, what, one of the things you could do and this, this might get me in trouble. This is probably me being the boring financial planner here, the conservative financial planner. But I think one of the things you could do is you could diversify where your, you know, where your wealth is coming from. So like, for example, like if you're working at a publicly traded Bitcoin miner right now and all of your net worth is in Bitcoin and, and you have no other assets and all of your income is coming from this highly leveraged, um, you know, maybe more of a, speculative publicly traded Bitcoin miner, like to me, that's probably pretty concerning. You know, even if, even if your wages is very high right now, um, I guess I would question how sustainable that is, um, at least in the near term. Now, of course, my, my hope is that all these publicly traded Bitcoin miners are, are going to become very wealthy, um, not a recommendation, but um, that would be my concern is that you've got your risk essentially all in one bucket. Whereas like, what would be the exact opposite of that? Um, yeah, I mean, certainly in the example of like these healthcare workers or something like that, um, that's not as very, that's a, not a very dynamic career, but we're always going to need nurse practitioners. <laughs> so, well, and I think yeah. when I think about like, I think something that's different about mm -hmm. these kind of like 30s and 40s clients that you serve is also the norms of like two working like two working spouse like households mm. and I think that's a new way like like part of the reason why I feel so confident in like my financial plan is like my wife and I both work our mother-in-law like takes care of our baby we're a one-car household cool. like we've already you know what I mean like I've already like closed off like attack vectors from other ways like so our child care like is covered like one we're one car so like rising fuel and rising insurance yeah. and all that stuff is just limited and then it's it, like you know we both have two jobs so us being able to like spread that risk out um that's something that like my parents never had as they were trying to like navigate things um, yeah or, or imagine if like you meet your you meet your spouse in law school and, and now you're both, um, you know, in practice at like a big law firm and you've got the exact same schedule. Um, you're, you're paying for the best daycare provider in, in LA and, um, you know, your, your parents live at the other side of the country. Like you can imagine that scenario 
And I think more more people that are like you're 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 in I ages are starting to think about it a little bit differently. Where you know in marriage you can have financial roles, and it doesn't just need to be, um, hey, uh, Mr. Jones handles all of the all of the um, all of the money, and Mrs. Jones is just sort of a doormat who does the cleaning. Like that doesn't have to be the case. Like you could do what you're talking about, where you're start, you're using each other's strengths to. Um, you know, like both contribute to the financial health of the household. Yeah. And to me, that's like, and then talk about like taking ground talking about like leveling up. That's why if I'm thinking like five years from now, one of us goes work optional and then we have the homeschooling, Yeah, you know, like, and that's, that's another thing. Like shout out to like Morgan again, like she has designed her life to execute the goals of like their family. And I think I just love, like, I love paying attention to this and I love, motivating people to like just make good decisions um and i'm glad that people have the ability to like call you and call others and really get strategic um about what they're doing what what do you think about real estate like i love talking about real estate how do you talk to people about making good decisions around that Mm. i think it's a little easier i've just this morning i was just sitting with a client um over a virtual meetup who, who's in Nashville, Tennessee, which is one of the hottest markets here in, in, in the country right now. We're here in Kansas City, Missouri. So we get sort of like the runoff of people that are like trying to flee Denver. <laughs> you know, like they're, they're doing the arbitrage where you sell your house in Denver and then you buy a house for cash in Kansas City. Um, and so I think our, our predicament is a little bit different than like, you know, maybe out somewhere where, where you're at, but, but yeah, my view is, you know, we talk about talking about like leveling up w- where your household is today. Um, my view is like, I like to look at someone's financial, personal financial statement. And I want to see, I want to see you have liquidity. I want to see you have retirement, meaning like assets and retirement accounts, um, I want to see you have uh, business interests and I want to see you have real estate. Um, I think those are all four sort of pivotal building blocks. And we can talk about, you know, what's the appropriate allocation to each, of course. But um, yeah, I mean, I think in general, it's sort of like um, a principle in Bitcoin is like own, owning is better than renting. And of course, we could we could we could uh, debate over like what does ownership of real estate actually mean in in the modern age? But I think in general that that principle still holds true. Um, I think, especially like in fiat land, uh, you know, a fixed rate mortgage is an asset, not a liability. Like it's sort of been uh, uh, turned on its head. And so, um, yeah, I mean, in general, I think if, if you're like my, my rule is like the five year rule. If you see yourself, um, just laying down some roots in an area that's like um, uh, longer than five years, I would would nudge you towards owning rather than renting. I mean, it's sort of like the um, popular thing to say in personal finance circles right now that like renting is this wonderful thing. And but I, I sort of think like that's not even the like that. It's actually more contrarian to now talk about ownership instead of renting because everyone loves to uh, preach the virtues of renting. So of course there's like a nuanced conversation here, but, but in general, um, I think it's a pivotal piece of someone's balance sheet. It helps this creative planning idea become, uh, give you more options. So like, I think that's cool that your mom lives with you. Um, my, uh, we, we have a family 
member who they built like a, a parent suite to their house. Yeah. So mom, mom and dad could like live with them and they actually paid yep. a little bit of a rent in retirement. So I think there's yep. some nice opportunities for that. Um, it's exactly I, that, dude. It's, yeah. like buying two, it's like buying two homes for the price of one was the other crazy thing about it is that there's new builds, like these new build builders are building next gen homes now. I'm sure it's happening not just in California. Oh, that's like, so, cool. I like that. Yeah, like you're, you're literally almost getting two homes for the price of one because that ensuite has its own entrance to the outside and its own entrance inside the home. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, and like, I guess I don't have those anecdotes yet of, uh, what was it from the big short? Like there was a stripper that had like seven houses or something like right. that. Right. I don't have any of those personal anecdotes yet. And so I guess my view would be that the next bubble will be different than the last bubble. And so it's probably some recency bias to think that, oh, there's just going to be another housing bust and we're replaying 2008 all over again. I mean, it's possible that the next bubble was like the altcoin bubble, you know, or the yeah. NFT bubble. And we're in it right now. Um, that's very right. possible. Yeah. That's okay. So my next question was, mm -hmm. I liked how you said the, the things that you like to see on the, the individual's balance sheet. So my next question was, do you count Bitcoin as liquidity? So when you're, if you're looking at someone's balance sheet, do you count Bitcoin as liquidity? And does that change in this bear market? I knew you were going to ask that. And, <laughs> and the, I mean, it's just like, it's such an impossible question because Bitcoin is sort of like its own thing and it doesn't fit into and into any of my nice buckets that I have sort of like from my personal financial planning history. So I think the answer is it's both and it's, and it's none. Um, technically like when we're doing this in, in my tool, I do count Bitcoin as liquidity. And then we talk about like what Bitcoin buckets do we have? And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think it's like me personally, I have my, my long-term cold storage. I have like maybe my medium, uh, my medium term Bitcoin, which might be yep. like with a trust company. And then I have my lightning wallet, which is like more of my checking account. And so mm -hmm. um, I do count it as that, but, but within liquidity too, um, then the conversation is how much fiat should we have? And then that's, you know, that's a conversation in and of itself. So, so when you zoom inside of liquidity, there's, there's even more sort of planning to do inside of that. Mm -hmm. What do you think I had written down here? Like, how do you think about like conviction in investments? And so in that question about like the, the real estate opinions and is the Bitcoin like, uh, like, so I asked in succession is buying or renting good. And then I was like, is Bitcoin liquidity? And you gave good answers that like my brain logically goes there. When you're talking with clients that aren't dialed into personal finance every day or aren't as like studied, of just consuming information on an investment because just in general if you consume a lot of information about the stock market your like thesis will go up or down like your your conviction one way or another will go down if you consume a bunch of information about real estate your conviction like what happens when a financial planner lays out a really great plan for someone but they don't have like con they don't have conviction in the plan what yeah. happens Oh uh, man, this is so hard because um, I think I think at least with regards to investing, my answer to that is like you all like I've always been on the side of like you actually have to become a real investor, and so for me, um, real investing has meant um, historically it, it meant like literally stock picking and owning 
and buying stocks like it's owning shares in a business. So there's this guy, Chris Mayer, years ago, he wrote this book called 100 Baggers. And it was like a study of all of these stocks that have turned 100 to 1 uh, throughout history. So he looks at some of the, the big winners of people that essentially hobbled their stocks over many decades and earned a 100 to 1 on their money. And uh, of course, I think there's a potential for Bitcoin to be 100 to 1 from here, um, you know, at least. And what was interesting about that, and the reason why it relates to Bitcoin is one of his little hacks was he would say, you should look at the fundamentals of the business and just take a look at how it's worked out over the course of many years, um, separate from the price of the, of the stock. And so, you know, some of these big winners over time, when the stock price would be very volatile, you would still see like the fundamentals improving. So for example, like maybe the dividend rate, um, maybe like uh, the, the revenue, uh, return on invested capital, stuff like that. And of course, um, this is sort of a different thing, but the analogy holds if you look at, um, so what I, what I just started to do, Brian, recently, was I started to look at, in fact, I just emailed a client this this morning, uh, things like hash rate. So it was like the, um, is the hash rate improving? Um, yeah. Is the, uh, the addresses with greater than, than one Bitcoin, like is that improving? Like those are sort of like the fundamentals of Bitcoin. And you probably have more ideas of what that could look like too, but this is just sort of my muse here. Like, is there a way right. that I could start to show clients just the pure fundamentals of it in the way that I used to show them the fundamentals of a business? Um, and of course, it's not a perfect analogy because Bitcoin is not a stock. I understand that. But um, like, it's encouraging to me that the, the hash rate is still very high and that uh, the network is still growing very rapidly. And that's sort of what I try to share with the client. For sure. No, for sure. What do you... makes me want to go like big for a second then. So in this thing, so make good decisions, crush it through the recession. What is end game in your brain? What's end game of people in their thirties and forties right now that make super solid decisions combined with just the times that we're living in, like yeah. combined with Bitcoin, like what is 50 years from now, me and you are in our eighties yeah. And I'm still talking to you like over Metaverse VR podcast. What are we talking about? I have this, uh, this buddy here in Kansas City. I did a podcast with, with him. His name is, is Ryan O'Connor. And um, Ryan runs a hedge fund. He's a brilliant guy. And he just grew up worshiping Warren Buffett. And the reason why is because uh, Ryan's grandfather in the 1950s was a, a salesman for IBM. And he met Buffett like in a poker game in Omaha, Nebraska. And um, uh, long story short, he put his life savings of like $30,000 or something like that in Berkshire Hathaway. His wife thought he was nuts. This was like the 1950s, like the first Buffett partnership. But long story short, um, over the decades, uh, the O'Connor family became like fabulously wealthy through just uh, frankly hodling their Berkshire Hathaway stock over many decades. So that is what I would love for my clients to experience. Cause what that did for the O'Connor family is it like, it changed the enti entire trajectory of, of the generations there. Um, right. Like they had like eight kids, eight, eight kids, Catholic family, um, 60 some grandkids. All of the kids had college that was paid for by the, um, uh, the appreciation of these shares. And, um, when, uh, uh, 
And so it just changed. And, and now you see young Ryan, who's an, uh, a guy, just, he's running a hedge fund because of the profound impact that this lesson right. uh, had for him. And so, of course, like we could criticize Warren Buffett all day, but I think that the lesson still shows is like, um, this is our version of that you know, in my mind. Like this is our version of, you know, being early in something or, you know, maybe this is Berkshire Hathaway in the 1970s or something. I don't know what it is, but. Yeah. You, you get the point. And, and it, it could be even a lot bigger than that as well. Like if you think of Bitcoin as being a way to invest in like the Internet itself. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I would love to have some Ryan O'Connor stories of people that I'm able to affect right now at a young age. And so um, that's what makes it beautiful yeah. to work with like younger clients in their 30s and 40s, yep. because. I can watch this play out over the course of a few decades and uh, yeah. we'll see it. We'll see if we're right. I think it'll be interesting. Yeah. I love that. I think that's awesome. Two, two questions to end it on. I just want to get your like sum it up again for us. What should people, how should people be preparing for their session? How should people be thinking about the Bitcoin bear market? And then we ask every episode, what's a Bitcoin um, product or service that doesn't exist yet that you wish did exist. So oh, cool. Tackle- so tackle either of those. Just give us your oh. rapid thoughts and then product or service. All right, ra- rapid thoughts. And then I want to hear your thoughts on my, my product idea. Um, I would just say, yeah, this is the time to have a really honest look at what maybe the excesses of the prior bull run were that you participated in. So Brian, you mentioned lifestyle inflation. Like, I, you know, frankly, I probably had that too. Um, is there any like... Um, is there any foolish leverage that you took on that now it's time to, you know, honestly say, Hey, we should probably do something about that. Can we, can we refinance to a fixed rate? Um, can we start to sort of shore up our access to liquidity right now? I mean, honestly, that could even be like, um, go to your bank and just put like a home equity line of credit in place. If you've got equity in your home, even if you're not going to use it, I'm not, I'm not saying you should use it, but you could see a scenario where like the banks are just going to quit lending. Um, these are the sorts of things that are, it's time to, you know, sort of shore up the cash flow and the, the balance sheet that you have in your house. And so I think this is the time to do that. Um, it's not the time to, I don't think it's the time to try to like, uh, you know, play catch up. So if it's like, oh, I feel stupid for foaming in at 50 or 60,000. So now I have to like do foolish things to try to catch up. Um, no, I just, I think this is the time to have an honest assessment and like start doing uh, the more conservative ways of acquiring your Bitcoin would be my, my, my idea. The product that I Perfect. would really love to see, Perfect. Brian, so you've got, you've got a one-year-old, yep. we've, we've got three, a three-year-old, we've got a one-year-old and we've got one on the way. And I want to make, I want to try to make Bitcoin tangible to my children. And I'm wondering if there's a way, I wonder if there's a way for, um, I don't know, our friends at CoinKite to put together like an actual piggy bank. So how can I get a piggy bank hardware wallet mm-hmm. where my kids can look at their Bitcoin balance growing in their little pink piggy bank? Does that, can we do that? I mean, I think you just <laughs> set it into existence. I just got the vision of like their mini block clock now because they have the mini block clock. Uh-huh. But if you just had the mini block clock in the shape of a pig and you right. had your... You had your deposit QR code, and then it just flashed their SATS balance. It's yeah, it's a combination of all three of the things: the open dime, the block hawk for the display, and the piggies. So I think that's fully possible. Yeah, can we there. can we just get someone to like three D print a a pig that goes over a block clock, or maybe they can do yep. that custom? Yep. 
Uh, so I, I think that would be interesting. So my kids, they play with like, they love playing with like uh, cash registers and like, you know, they got, they have like a, they have an actual piggy bank, but it's sort of a sad thing that you have to share with them that their, their pennies are worthless. No, perfect. I mean, Bogdan can clip this right now and we'll put it on Twitter, the, the open source Twitter sphere, and we'll make it happen. So I love the idea. Uh, I, I know there's somebody out there that can do this. I think that's the way to do it. 100%. It'll be ready. Um, all right, dude. Tell us where people can find you. Great. Um, so, yeah, my name is Andy Flattery. I'm on Twitter at Andy Flattery. And, and the podcast is called The Reformed Financial Advisor podcast. And it's sort of me um, being like the financial planner heretic in the sense that I talk about things like Bitcoin, um, which you're not supposed to talk about. And your listeners might be particularly interested in um, a recent episode I did with my Kansas City friends on just bear market in general, uh, which you talked a little bit about today. But um, yeah, it's the Reformed Financial Advisor on any podcasting 2.0 app. Perfect. Yep. And the website and the website is, I'm getting to it. Yeah. Website uh, is simplewealthkc.com. There it is. Perfect. All right, Andy. Thanks so much. Hey all, this is Brian. You can reach me on Twitter at Brain Harrington. Shoot me a DM with any feedback from today's episode. This has been a Choice App production. Bitcoin is becoming centric to personal finance, and we want to help you learn how to better engage with Bitcoin financial services. None of this is financial advice and is for education and entertainment 